Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It started. Trump says, uh, go to the polls, watch the polls, let them know you're there, stuff like that, right? Well, this is Charlotte Agenda is the Twitter handle promoting the city of Charlotte. So this is like, you know, the Twitter feed of the city. As several prominent local female politicians spoke outside of Precinct 212, one of the largest Democratic polling places in the state. Now, here you've got prominent female politicians outside speaking at an event, Remember Gabby Gifford? Outside speaking at an event, guy walks up with a gun, shoots her in the head. Okay, so back to the story. As several prominent female local politicians spoke at Precinct 212, one of the largest Democratic polling places in the state, the event was cut short when a maskless white man open carrying a gun showed up and began to circle the property. They whisked away the congresswoman, Adams, and the mayor, Lyles, and poll watchers said the man had been there for nearly an hour, apparently waiting for this opportunity. The Charlotte Agenda Twitter account said North Carolina is an open carry state, so technically he's not breaking the law. Still, voters and volunteers here describe this as voter intimidation. Tim Carmichael, a poll watcher, told the Charlotte Agenda, quote, if they saw a black man with a gun, they would have emptied the whole damn precinct. But, you know, hey, this is the way Trump followers, Trump humpers roll. This is what Trump humpers do. Shouldn't surprise us. And Donald Trump, I love this. Mark Sumner over at Daily Kos, the headline, Trump goes out like he came in, a rich bully who enjoys cheating the little people. You know, Trump didn't pay this cabinet maker who got the $400,000 contract for the casinos. He didn't pay his plumber or gas company on his New York tower. He stiffed the company. He put the carpet into his hotel. He shortchanged everyone from the bartenders to the dishwashers who worked at Mar-a-Lago and many of his other resorts. He's repeatedly refused to pay cities and towns, police departments all around the country uh, for the security that they provided for his Trump rallies over the last four years. So how does he end his super spreader tour? Uh, He thinks that one of the most charming things about him is that he sticks it to the little guy. He screws small business people who can't afford to stand up to him. And he thinks that his supporters love this. So on Saturday, he was in Bullhead, Arizona, and he walked up to the mic and there was a little bit of feedback from the mic. Sometimes when you get, you know, when you approach a mic in a big venue like that, you get a little bit of sound bouncing off your face or something in the mic. And the mic went beep like that. But that was it. It was just one little squeak. But it was enough for Trump. He says, whoever did this microphone, don't pay him. You know, I have a reputation for not paying and it's a false reputation. Right. And then he goes on to say it's not a false reputation. He says, when someone does a lousy job like a microphone that's no good or like teleprompters that fly with the wind, I say, don't pay him. And he's waving his hand at the teleprompter in front of him. Apparently, he doesn't want to pay that company either. But he apparently thought this was such a good line. He got such a good response from the crowd. This was on Saturday in Arizona that he tried it out last night in uh, Wisconsin. He walked up stage, grabbed a mic. Nothing happened. The microphone didn't make any bad noises or anything. But he said, this mic's no good. And so he walked over and grabbed another mic and started yelling about it. And get a contractor up here. So the guy gets up on stage who's trying to fix the mic. There's nothing wrong with the mic. And Trump says, he's not nervous. I'll give you the name of his company. Never use that company. 
He continues to complain about or brag about how he loves to screw small, independently owned businesses. He just loves to ruin contractors, so, you know, small, small businesses. He says, I'll give you the name of his company. Never use that company. I won't pay the bill of a company that does this crazy microphone. And they'll do the story, Trump is a horrible human being, doesn't pay a bill. Yeah, well, Trump is a horrible human being, and he doesn't pay his bills. There was a piece in the New York Times that had this one-sentence paragraph in it that said that Harris County, Texas, Houston, basically, has a larger population than 26 states, which means that there are 52 United States senators who represent states that have a smaller population than Houston. This is just crazy, right? I think more than anything else, what this day is telling us when you look at the possibility that Trump could lose the popular vote by 10 million votes and still win the Electoral College, which is pretty bizarre, but he lost by 3 million votes last time and still became president, just like George W. Bush lost by a half a million votes and became president. That should not be. That's not democracy. A really strong reason why not only do we need to get rid of the Electoral College, but we need to have an absolute right to vote. It's the legacy of slavery, again, that is biting us in the butt. I mean, this just happens over and over. You know, it's with guns, the whole Second Amendment thing was so, so that the southern states could have their slave patrols. It was written in just that way. And the result of that is that, you know, we've got more guns than any other country, any other developed country in the world on a per capita basis, probably on an absolute basis. There's over 300 million, 300, what, 30, 40 million Americans and probably five or six hundred million guns. I haven't seen the updated numbers, the most recent numbers, but it's huge. And frankly, our gun rights are intact. If the government wants to take away your gun or prevent you from buying one, they have to go through due process. They have to go before a judge and say, here's why. They have to make their case. Our property rights are intact, right? Our constitution a large part of the Constitution deals with property rights and commerce and, and you know, the rights of people who own things to not have those things taken away by the government. The government can't take away your house or your car, even if you owe years and years of back taxes, without first going to court. They have to prove their case. They have to do it in front of a judge. Our marriage rights are solid, at least until Amy Coney Barrett rules on the next case that involves gay marriage. But right now, if a government official anywhere in the United States wants to deny you a marriage license, that person can be sued and in some states can even go to jail. Our free speech rights, First Amendment free speech rights, they have been so expanded by the Supreme Court that when billionaires want to buy politicians and own them, when when corporations want to buy, and uh, our Supreme Court also said corporations are people, my friend, Mitt Romney's famous line. Billionaires want to buy politicians or corporations want to buy politicians. That's protected by the First Amendment. And if the government wants to step into the process or wants to intervene or say, "Uh, no, you can't do that, the government has to go to court. Our rights to due process, the Fifth, Sixth, Seventh, and Eighth Amendments to the Constitution are still intact. If government, whether it's a city government, a county government, a state government, or the federal government wants to put you in jail, they have to go through a series of very clearly defined steps, which involve petitioning a court and proving their case before a court. So our due process rights are still intact. Voting, though, not at all. Voting is not and has never been a right in the United States of America because at the founding of this republic, probably 60-70% of all the people who were here from either Europe or Africa did not have the ability to vote, and 100% of the people who were here when Europeans first arrived here did not have the right to vote, Native Americans. And so founders were not going to write a right to vote into the Constitution. That'd be crazy because you're trying to prevent the majority of the people from voting. Well, we've changed that over the years. But we still don't have a right to vote. And that's why Louis DeJoy, the postmaster general, can delay your ballot without risking going to jail. 
Republican politicians all across the country can pass laws making it harder and harder and harder. Oh, if you're a felon, you got to pay your fines. Oh, you got to have a driver's license. Oh, you know, you can use a gun permit, but not a not a college ID, even though it's a state college and it's an official government ID, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's like this has been the entire electoral strategy of the Republican Party. And frankly, this has been their core electoral strategy for 40 years. And a lot of us out here have been yelling about this. And this is the first election where the corporate, the mainstream media has actually taken us seriously. And it's like all of a sudden they're discovered, oh my God, look at that. Republicans have been challenging, oh, really? In 1964, the guy who became Chief Justice Rehnquist, William Rehnquist, was standing outside polling places in Arizona yelling at Native Americans and Hispanics? to scare them away from voting? Really? Yes. <laughs> it was called Operation Eagle Eye. He helped put it together. It was voter intimidation. This is because we don't have a right to vote. And taking away our vote, when Republicans want to take away our vote, or when Republicans want to prevent us from voting, or when Republicans want to purge us from the list of registered voters in a state, they should have to go to court the same as they have to go to court right now if they want to take away our guns or take away our homes or take away our cars or close out our bank accounts. I mean, this should just be common sense, right? It is in, I believe, every other developed democracy. You know, maybe I'm, there's an exception that I'm unaware of. But I'm pretty sure that we're the only country in the world, that, the only developed country in the world, that doesn't explicitly state a right to vote. We need a 28th Amendment that says words to the effect of all United States citizens who have achieved the age of majority, and I say the age of majority rather than 18 because the age of majority is subject to change. All citizens, all U.S. citizens who have achieved the age of majority shall have the right to vote, period. And then the next sentence is, you know, Congress can pass laws to enact this into effect. And then we can start calling ourselves a functioning democratic republic. Until then, eh, not so much. On the Science Revolution this week, how a Green New Deal could save hundreds of thousands of lives. Also, Dr. Justin Franks submitted an amicus brief to the Supreme Court on Bush v. Gore and is talking about psychoanalytic and family dynamic perspective in that context. I weigh in on how the GOP is an organized gang of sociopaths. Meet the 14-year-old climate activist, Haven Coleman. She'll be discussing how youth climate activists are leading the push for climate action in the Democratic Party and why they believe voting for climate in 2020 is so critical. And in Geeky Science, why healthcare for all is a climate solution. Tune into the Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are available. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And on the line with us is Tom Steyer, the former Democratic candidate for president 2020, former investor and philanthropist, founder of Next Gen America, nextgenamerica.org and climatepower2020.org. We've had a, a few young people from that website on this program. And Twitter handle, of course, at Tom Steyer. Tom, welcome back to the program. It's great having you with us. I'm, I'm wondering your take on how climate, uh, you know, one of your major issues uh, for years now, how climate is playing into this, this election. You know, Tom, climate is at the heart of this election. The Biden-Harris campaign has embraced an aggressive climate plan, the Build Back Better plan. They've pushed it in the debates. They've run on it. They've run ads about it. And it's really, really connected with young people. You know, NextGen, the organization I started, is the biggest organizer of young people in the United States. And Joe Biden's approval rating in May with young people was minus 22%. Today, it's plus 23%. He has absolutely connected with young people on climate. They believe he cares. They believe that he has heart and soul in the fight to stem our climate crisis because it is an emergency. It is urgent. They know it. And today's the day we turn the page on this mistake in America and start going back towards the right values. Yeah, that's remarkable stuff. I'm a board member of Vocal, which is a philanthropy a progressive philanthropy, and we, we were members for years of the Democracy Alliance. I've been to a number of the meetings. I think we pulled out last year, but 
I'm curious your take as, you know, as a major player in these in this world and whatnot. Back in the 80s, Republicans got together or conservatives got together, both in the wake of the Powell memo and some Supreme Court decisions and whatnot, particularly the Buckley decision that said that rich people can own politicians, Buckley and First National Bank versus Bilotti. And they created the Heritage Foundation and, and the Cato Institute and the Federalist Society. And people associated with them started buying up massive collections of radio stations around the country and built this huge media echo chamber that has really, really helped them win election after election after election since the 80s. Is there anything like that in the works among progressive philanthropists? You know, not that I've heard of, Tom. I mean, I think on the Democratic side, we believe in data and information, and it's a huge difference. You know, I think that if you look at what Joe Biden ran on from the very beginning, it was we're fighting for the soul of America. And part of that soul is about honesty and truth. And part of it is about compassion and caring. And, you know, there is no sense that the soul of America is supposed to be fed by lies and dishonesty. And I think it's a gigantic difference. And I, I absolutely recognize the huge role that Fox News has played in this. But when we look at where those lies and distortions have led us, it's not just in all the social issues. Look, Donald Trump is terrible on the economy. Donald Trump is terrible for working people, for jobs, for our future in the ways that he claims he's good. And, you know, if you never tell the truth about COVID, how are you going to deal with COVID? If you never tell the truth about climate, how are you ever going to deal with climate? I think it's been a huge disservice to the United States of America that there's been a culture of lies on the Republican side, a culture of distortion. And I think Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the exact opposite. And what we stand for is something completely different, which is let's deal with the truth honestly, but in a caring way. I think that you have your finger on something that's absolutely critical. Yeah, yeah. We're talking with Tom Steyer, former Democratic candidate for president, investor, philanthropist, founder of Next Gen America, nextgenamerica.org, and climatepower2020.org as well. Tom, where do you see, you know, I, we were talking earlier on this program, and I was suggesting that, that the Democratic Party should take a clue from the way politics is done in the UK. That is that the party out of power establishes a shadow government. They designate, this is the person who's going to be our Secretary of State once we're back in power. This is the person who's going to be our Secretary of, of the Treasury or Chancellor of the Exchequer, the head of our Justice Department, all those kinds of things. And then those people actually hold press conferences and make statements about what they would do or what they think of what's being done by the party in power. And it seems to me like we're entering an extraordinarily fragile time, the next you know, two months roughly, uh, between the time that, that this election happens, you know, uh, God willing, knocking wood, hoping that Joe Biden becomes president, and January 20th, when if he does win, he gets sworn in. And I realize we can't take that for granted. But that said, <laughs> wouldn't, it be a, wouldn't it be a good idea, and shouldn't we be encouraging Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to say right up front, okay, here's our person who's going to be our Treasury Secretary. We're telling you right now, two months in advance, and that person is going to start making policy pronouncements or at least critiquing the policy positions of the Trump administration, basically create a shadow cabinet or a shadow government. What do you think? I'm incredibly positive. But, you know, if the American people have risen up and said it's over, we never want to do that again. We never want to do anything like that again. We're going back to our values. And if we do that, then there's a million good things after that. But that is what today has got to be about, is about that statement of who we are and what kind of future we're looking forward to and who we include. And I think, you know, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have done a great job. I mean, I keep using their names, but they've done a great job of collecting people into a movement that's value-based. And that is, yeah. you know, I am emotional about this because it's really a huge statement about who we are and who we're going to be. And if we don't do it, it's going to be, you know, I, it's unimaginable. We Completely turn the page agree. on a nightmare. I completely agree. Tom, if the federal government wants to take away your gun, if you had one, they would have to go to court and build a case. 
you would have you would be subject they would be subject to due process if they wanted to take away your home say they were alleging you hadn't paid your taxes or something they would still have to go to court you would have to go through due process because you have a right to a gun that the supreme court discovered in the heller decision you have a right to property which has been acknowledged since the founding of the republic but if they want to take away your vote if they want to purge you from the voting list if ron DeSantis or brian kemp or or greg abbott want to strip you from the voting list as they do hundreds of thousands of registered voters mostly in big cities regularly they don't have to go through any kind of process at all because we do not have a right to vote because when our constitution was written most people in this country did not have a right to vote and so you know it's not in the constitution I've been calling for a 28th Amendment that simply says, you know, every citizen who has achieved the age of majority has an absolute right to vote in the United States that would give us due process rights with regard to our vote. What do you think about that? I think it's a great idea. I think that you have your finger on something that's absolutely critical that's going on today, which is the Republican Party has organized and has made a concerted effort to strip the right to vote from hundreds of thousands of American citizens because they think they might vote against them. And I think that that's something that is beyond shameful. And given how disproportionate that effort is towards African-Americans and with an eye to the history of the United States and how much it took for African-Americans to get the right to vote in the first place, blood, sweat, and tears, it's beyond shameful what they've been doing. And I absolutely agree with you. You make a great point, Tom, which is people do have a right to vote. We absolutely know that now, and it should be enshrined in law. Yeah, it should be absolutely as emphatic as the right to own a damn gun. (laughs) It's incredible. Tom Steyer, Next Gen America, climatepower2020.org. Tom, thank you so much for dropping by. It's always great talking with you. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you so much for dropping by. Delilah in Palm Coast, Florida. Hey, Delilah, what's up? I know the Constitution doesn't protect voting, but it does protect life, liberty, happiness, right? So that being said, so now if someone like the governor, Governor DeSantis, wants to take away someone's voting rights or privileges, shall I say, they're actually denying one the right to self-determination, which is a process that a person controls their own life. Where I work, if we have clients in the behavioral health unit that have to be shown that they don't have the ability to self-determinate, well, then we have to go to court, you know, to prove that. So does not the governor or whomever that would be the person that would take someone's rights away or privilege away to vote, would that have to be proven? I was reading the self-determination theory, free will, which is Richard Ryan and Edward Desi, the two psychologists that developed that determination theory. And would not be my civil rights if you went ahead and, and, and said, okay, well, you know what, we're not even going to evaluate that. We're just going to take away your voting privileges. You are conflating the Declaration of Independence, which says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and is not a legal document with the Constitution, which is a legal document. The Constitution does not say that you have the right to life, liberty, or the pursuit of happiness, but it does say that you have a bunch of rights and they can't be abridged. And what you're pointing out is what would happen if we established a right to vote. You can't take away a person's freedom. That's the 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th Amendment. And that's why if somebody is adjudicated mentally ill and has to be institutionalized, that's kind of the equivalent of jailing them. There's a due process equivalent necessary there. That is not necessary to take away your vote right now, but would become necessary to take away your vote if our right to vote was as solid as our right to be free, to stay out of jail or stay out of a mental hospital. Delilah, thank you. Thank you for the call. That's a, you know, it's a, such an important point that you raise and, and one that we need to be talking about more. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. We need an affirmative right to vote and we need it now. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Today's book in our book club is The Hidden History of the War on Voting, Who Stole Your Vote and How to Get It Back by this guy, Tom Hartman. Uh, This is from chapter one, or from the introduction, actually. In 2016, 6% of Americans who were eligible to vote nominated Donald Trump as the GOP's presidential candidate. It was 8% for Hillary Clinton on the Democratic side. Trump went on to be elected president by 26% of eligible voters. The modern American oligarchs have largely stayed in power using three simple elements. Explicit overt racism, massive disinformation campaigns, and voter suppression. No ideas, no push for better schools, hospitals, airports, roads, or bridges, or reform of our health, energy, or financial systems. No promise of more and better jobs. 
None of these staples of past presidential campaigns can be found in pretty much any Republican advertising today. Instead, the public Republican message is all about race, or the subset of race, religion. Muslim stands in for brown Arab in GOP speak, and immigration, a.k.a. brown people from south of our border, and socialism. Meanwhile, Republican secretaries of state across the nation are vigorously purging voters from the rolls. Over 17 million, more than 10% of America's active voters, in just the 2016-2018 period, according to NBC News. After the five Republican appointees on the U.S. Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act in 2013, 14 GOP-controlled states moved within a year, some within days, to restrict access to the vote, particularly for communities of color, students, and retired people. In North Carolina, for example, 158 polling places were permanently closed in the 40 counties with the most African-American voters just before the 2016 election, leading to a 16% decline in African-American early voting in that state. An MIT study found that nationwide, Hispanic voters wait 150% longer in line than white voters, and black voters can expect to wait 200% longer in line to vote. In Indiana, then-Governor Mike Pence's new rigorous voter ID law caused an 11.5% drop in African-American voting. Students are suing for their right to vote, and retired people who no longer drive but care passionately about their Social Security and Medicare are being turned away at the polls by the hundreds of thousands because their driver's licenses have expired. The obvious failure of 40-plus years of Reaganomics and GOP policies to maintain a functional middle class in America has been a problem for the modern GOP. In 1974, for example, the GOP had outright control of only seven states. The message, elect us and we'll help the rich people, just didn't generally resonate with American voters. It's the reason why, outside of the fluke elections of 46 and 52, Democrats controlled the House of Representatives outright for three generations, from 1933 to 1996, and controlled the Senate for most of that time. Desperate to win the presidency for the GOP in 1968, Richard Nixon went so far as to commit treason by torpedoing a peace deal with President Lyndon Johnson that President Lyndon Johnson had worked out with the North and South Vietnamese. According to Abul Hassan Bani Sadr, then president of Iran, Ronald Reagan did the same thing by cutting a deal with Iran whereby they would hold on to the U.S. Embassy hostages until after the 1980 presidential election torpedoing Jimmy Carter's chances of re-election. But in 2000, the GOP changed tactics. After Reagan was almost busted for his part in Iran-Contra, he testified that he had forgotten about details of the program more than 80 times. His growing Alzheimer's spared him an indictment. They realized that getting busted for treason wasn't worth the risk. They needed a plan B. And it was deliciously simple. If most voters don't like what you're selling, then just don't let them vote. Paul Weyrich promoted this idea back in 1980 when he was campaigning for Reagan after co-founding the Heritage Foundation. And indeed, many Republican luminaries, such as William Rehnquist, who went from serving the GOP by standing in polling places and intimidating Hispanic and Native American voters in the 1960s to becoming Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, rose up through the ranks by participating in Republican-run voter intimidation schemes. Voter suppression became the foundational go-to tactic for the GOP in 2000. Although the GOP attacked Democratic presidential nominee Al Gore with smear and innuendo, ridiculing him for helping write the legislation that created the modern internet, for example, the main thing that got George W. Bush into the White House was voter suppression. His brother, Florida Governor Jeb Bush, and Bush's Secretary of State, Catherine Harris, threw somewhere between 20,000 and 90,000 African-American voters off the rolls. They were able to get the vote close enough that five Republican appointees to the Supreme Court functionally awarded Bush the presidency. The BBC covered this in 2001 in two major investigative reports that were seen all over the world, except on any American media. By 2016, the Republican Party had fine-tuned its voter suppression and intimidation systems to the point that they ran like well-oiled machines in nearly 30 states. Between the 2012 and 2016 presidential elections, for example, Ohio had purged more than 2 million voters from its rolls, the vast majority, more than 2 to 1, in heavily African-American and Hispanic counties. The five Republican appointees on the Supreme Court ruled in 2017 that they could keep it up, and other states have since adopted their new tactic of caging voters. The book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting, by me.
Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Uh, Lawrence Tribe uh, wins the day with his tweet. He said uh, Donald Trump will spend this day in a secure room inside a large federal facility surrounded by a fence inside an unscalable wall backed by another fence and ringed by 1,000 prison guards. So think of this as a dry run for the next decade. Yeah, the federal government or any government, state government, city government, whatever it may be, If they want to take away your home, they have to go to court and prove their case. If they want to take away your gun, they have to go to court and prove your case. But if they want to take away your vote, no problem. We need an absolute right to vote. One of the guys who really understands this, who wrote this brilliant book, Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America, and is the senior reporter at Mother Jones, Ari Berman, is on the line with us. And uh, Ari, welcome back to the program. It's been a while. Great to have you with us. Hey, Tom. Good to talk to you again. Thank you. Thank you. So what's your take on the current state of affairs here? I know you've been reporting on how, you know, a federal judge refused to throw out all those uh, votes, the motor voting votes in Texas. But, you know, there are really large issues at stake here. And also you've got at least four justices on the Supreme Court who are saying that they should be able to change the voting rules for a state after people have voted and the people who are not in 
compliance with those newly changed rules changed after they voted can have their votes thrown out. Minnesota, I guess, is the best example of this. What's your observation on what's going on in the context of all this stuff? Well, there's a lot of threats to voting rights right now, Tom. I mean, the good news is that 100 million people voted early. And so I think we're having a smooth day, relatively speaking, because so many people got their votes in early. But we'll see how many of those votes end up being counted. The Trump campaign has already said they are going to challenge late arriving votes in places like Pennsylvania, even if those are legal votes after state law. So, for example, Pennsylvania, uh, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said uh, you can have your ballot in three days after the election, as long as it's postmarked or sent by Election Day. The Supreme Court declined to change that. But basically, Samuel Alito said, challenges after the election, and maybe we'll throw those votes out, which is very, very concerning. The Eighth Circuit basically did the same kind of thing in Minnesota. Uh, Trump has already said he's going to go in with his lawyers after the election. So I think if it's a landslide for Joe Biden, none of this is really going to make a difference. But if it's a close election, we can imagine that there's going to be a lot of legal challenges in terms of how votes are counted. And it's just a crazy situation for voters where they cast ballots legally and they could see them still thrown out. Yeah, it's nuts. I was ranting about the need for a 28th Amendment to establish an absolute right to vote for all citizens who have achieved the age of majority in the United States. You know, there's been a lot of talk about this for a lot of years, but it's it's been kind of bubbling under the surface and really hasn't broken out that. And the, the other big thing is the interstate compact, you know, the nationalpopularvote.com uh, interstate compact, where, you know, if we can get enough states to equal 270 votes to say that they'll they'll direct their electoral votes to to vote for whoever uh, wins the popular vote, then, you know, all is good. Although there may be a Supreme Court challenge to that. There's talk about that. But what's the status of establishing voting as a right in the United States? I think we're we're the only established democracy in the world that doesn't have voting as a right. And of course, it's because, you know, at the beginning when we were founded 240 years ago, three quarters of the population couldn't vote. Women couldn't vote. People of color couldn't vote. Native Americans couldn't vote, et cetera. What do you think? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, we need that. We need a fundamental right to vote in this country because we have things that you supposedly can't do. You supposedly can't deny the right to vote to people on the basis of race. You supposedly can't deny the right to vote to women. You supposedly can't deny the right to vote on the basis of age. In fact, those kind of things are done all the time. But we don't have any expansive language in our Constitution that says everyone should have the right to vote except for X, Y, and Z. And I think that's one of the reasons why voter suppression remains so prevalent in America is because we don't have those broad guarantees of the franchise. Of course, we also have federal judges interpreting existing laws in a very restrictive manner. Um, But I think it's absolutely important. I would also note, Tom, another amazing thing is virtually every state constitution has more expansive language protecting the right to vote than the federal constitution. So the federal constitution isn't just behind other countries. It's actually behind all the different states. And I think it's telling that the Supreme Court keeps saying that state legislatures trump state courts, because they know in states like Pennsylvania and North Carolina that have more progressive state courts, they can use that more expansive legislation to protect voting rights, and the Supreme Court doesn't like that. Yeah, you wonder how long that's going to last. You know, one of the things that the right has been really, really good at, particularly the Federalist Society and the people aligned with them, is taking small seemingly insignificant cases or cases that, you know, wouldn't get a lot of publicity, arguing them before the Supreme Court and using them as a lever to pry up the corner of established precedent and eventually flip it on its head. You know, probably Heller is one of the best examples of that. And they're trying to do this with an abortion case that's coming up, you know, shortly. I'm wondering if a couple of women or a couple of African-Americans in any state that routinely purges voter rolls, you know, in Georgia, Greg Palast has, has shown where, you know, several hundred thousand people on Brian Kemp's voter purge rolls actually never moved. You know, they still, they're still their original homes. One of them was the, the cousin of Martin Luther King, in fact, and she was denied, you know, uh, the right to vote in the 2016 election because of that, because they said that she was purged. If somebody was to launch a legal challenge saying, I am a woman, And my right to vote is established by the, what is it, 19th Amendment, as I recall, or 20th Amendment. I get them mixed up. But anyway, I'm a woman and my right to vote was denied without due process. 
or I'm an African-American and my right to vote was denied without due process, that that would crack open that requirement for due process on the part of the Supreme Court. What do you think? Well, I think it's an interesting idea. The problem is that every time a voting case goes to the Supreme Court, they keep doing bad stuff. So, I mean, things keep right. getting worse with the current Supreme Court. I mean, listen, in a recent case from Wisconsin, Brett Kavanaugh cited Bush v. Gore as a precedent when the Supreme Court in 2000 explicitly said, don't cite Bush v. Gore as a precedent. So they're basically going to do whatever they can to try to limit the right to vote, especially with Amy Coney Barrett on there. And so that's why I'm just very, very nervous about how this is going to play out if it goes to the courts, because I think the courts don't really care about the law at this point, particularly the Supreme Court. Um, They just want to do whatever they can to try to maximize Republican power. So my own view is if Democrats take back the Senate, if Democrats take back the presidency, they should try to pass as much legislation as possible to make it easier to vote by doing things like H.R. 1, the For the People Act, and restoring the Voting Rights Act. But they should try to stay away from the court as much as possible, because I don't see anything good on voting rights or pretty much any other issue coming out of a six to three Supreme Court right now. Yeah, I'm with you on that, although I would argue that what the court is doing is making a case for court reform, you know, for massive court reform. Well, I totally agree with you there. Yeah, but that's going to be a bigger challenge. All right, Berman, senior reporter with Mother Jones, uh, author of Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America. Ari Berman uh, is also his Twitter handle. Ari, thanks so much for dropping by today. Thanks a lot, Tom. I appreciate it. It's great talking with you. Let's get back to our calls here and what you all are thinking. Uh, Alan in Pennsburg, Pennsylvania. Hey, Alan, what's on your mind today? Yes, good morning. How are you doing? Why isn't there more uniformity? Why is Massachusetts different than Pennsylvania, than different than Illinois, that's different than California? Why isn't there more uniformity? I know probably states' rights, but... but Well, that's entirely the states' rights. In 1789 or 1790, you know, or 92, I guess, was the first election, the first federal election after we became a republic, maybe 17, whatever. Back then, in Rhode Island, women could vote and people who didn't own land could vote and freed slaves, African-Americans who were not slaves, and Rhode Island slavery was illegal. They could all vote in Rhode Island. In North Carolina, none of those people could vote. And so you had these different standards in the different states, and that's why they wrote the Constitution the way they did, because they wanted to respect, you know, what those states were doing and how they were doing it. And I think it's in a way unfortunate, but What's real, Alan, right now is that our Constitution reflects the way life was, the mindset, the social standards, the legal standards of 1789 or 1787, you know, when it was drafted. And those standards are, are like, you know, we're well past that or we certainly should be well past that now. So but that's why it's the way it is. And that's why I think that we need to establish an absolute federal right to vote. It needs to be written into the Constitution as the 28th Amendment or something like that. You know, it's uh, there's the Motor Voter Act as well that says that there's a right to vote. I think we need to be moving in that direction. Visit TomHartman.com for audio Thank you very much. Blue Wave. Thank you. And hello, friend. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. And uh, on the line with us, Tramel Gomes. He's Public News Service's Florida News Connection reporter based in Florida and host of the Rotunda podcast. Rotundapodcast.com is the website. Tramel, T-R-I-M-M-E-L-G is his Twitter handle. Florida has you know, a long and bizarre history with regard to voter suppression and things like that. Famously, as the BBC reported, Back in 2000, although it didn't get picked up by American media for several months, sadly, but the BBC was all over it, and the whole world knew about this, Jeb Bush had taken a list of Texas felons from his brother George, who was governor of Texas, a list that was largely of African-American and Hispanic people, and those name pools are smaller than among the white population that draws from more languages. And as a result, he was able to purge 90,000 African-Americans off the voting rolls in the months leading, or Catherine Harris, his secretary of state, did it for him, in the months leading up to the election of 2000, thus getting him close enough to basically steal that election. Have there been similar voter purges this time around in Florida? Is Ron DeSantis playing the same games that Jeb Bush did? 
Thankfully, there has not been any overt voter purge like we've seen in the past. What we've been seeing is more on the legislative and in the process and the the effort to, like, you know, with the constitutional amendments, Florida passed the constitutional amendments to have former felons have the right to vote. And then the legislature, the Republican-led legislature, just put a stop to that by saying, okay, despite what the will of the voters and what, make sure they are paying their fines, sort of like it's been compared to like a poll tax, before they're Mm -hmm. able to get their rights to vote. So effectively stopping that forward movement process to allow all of some 1.4 million people the right to vote. So once the state went forward, there was this effort legislatively to, to slow that down, and that was fully endorsed by the governor, Ron DeSantis. So that's what we've been seeing in the efforts to suppress votes here. As you may know, celebrities and everyone have been trying to put forward a big campaign to register those former felons and get them eligible to vote. And that's been going back and forth into the legal process. So at least the suppression has transformed in that way. In uh, Michigan, residents of largely African-American Flint have been getting robocalls telling them that they should get ready to vote tomorrow on Wednesday. We've seen this before. Anything like that going on in Florida? Just the misinformation coming from the top, (laughs) from the governor saying the media is the most divisive aspect in society and denigrating the media's role in forming the people. So you have that distrust that's coming from the ground up and supported by the the governor. So we have that in as selling doubt. Trail Gomes, RotundaPodcast.com. Thank you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Patsy in Arroyo Grande, California. Hey, Patsy, what's on your mind today? Hi. Yeah, those uh, uh, guys that run around in pickup trucks with uh, those flags hanging off. Are you talking about ISIS or, our... or Trumpers? I call them Panzer units. Yeah, they're Trumpers. Uh, <laughs> anyway, they've been doing these little parades around town, and they did one on Saturday, which I, you know, I ran into, and it was a big raucous event with, you know, horns and all their flags and flying Confederate flags, mm-hmm. and and just you know, in general, being what they are, which I won't say on air. But yeah, so I was telling a person that on the phone there that you know I just have been so annoyed with them because the problems they've caused down on our dunes. I you know you've heard our dunes are like you know world famous, the Guadalupe dunes and Oceano dunes. You know where Cecil B. DeMille filmed the Ten Commandments back you know in the silent era and stuff. But the thing is, it's also home to the snowy plover and places where people like to go whale watch, and they can't because of all the dust from the dune buggies. And these guys are also dune buggiers, so they've somehow attached themselves to these, uh, you know, Trumper Panzer unit people. It's the only way, you know, and they're the same people that drove the Biden bus off the road in Texas. So I was just telling your caller, I said, I just couldn't help it because I'm fed up with these people. So they were coming down the street, and I was going the opposite direction. So I just gave them the finger. I couldn't help it. I just waved my finger out the window. And I'm 80 years old, so it shocked all of them. And I could see the looks on their faces because they weren't wearing masks. Of course, you know, they don't want to wear masks either. Anyway, I just wanted to write in and tell you that these people are all over the place. Patsy, you know, know, I think we all need to be pretty emphatic about defending people's rights to drive around and wave flags, whether they're Trump or Biden flags, it doesn't matter, and make noise and be enthusiastic about their candidates. And we all need to be defending your right to give them the finger. Where I come down, the the dividing line for me is when they tried to intimidate the people in that Biden-Harris well, bus by well, slowing well, traffic do, down they do, 20 they miles do, an hour. They do do that. They do do that. They, we had an incident where we had a Black Lives Matter march down in that area. It was a couple of months ago. And they showed up with guns and some of the store owners let them get up on the roof of the salt rifles pointed at the marchers. And wow. then their excuse, yeah, and their excuse was, well, we're protecting the people. And I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I don't need vigilantes protecting me. And, you know, and I, yeah. I claim my Second Amendment right to give them the finger. That's my weapon. Okay, there you go. That was a good one. Eddie in Agra, Kansas. Hey, Eddie, what's up? Well, first off, I agree with Patsy, but I wanted to say that all this crap is being done to voter intimidation, the massacres, everything the Republicans do, they always try to hide behind the man who said, do unto others as you would have others do unto you, but they use it as a, uh, to hide and to cover. Yeah, it's the people who are claiming, you know, religious inspiration or religious right. Typically, 
what was it, Samuel Johnson or was it uh, Teddy Roosevelt who said that, I think, I'm pretty sure it was Samuel Johnson who said that false patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel. And I was false religiosity falls into that same category. Spot on, Eddie. Charles in Jacksonville, Florida. Hey, Charles, what's up? For the past two days, you have mentioned that the demonstrations in Philly are playing right in the Donald Trump's hands. It's been proven in Wisconsin. It's been proven in Minnesota that the people that are basically doing the looting, burning other properties, and causing all kind of chaos is right-wing provocateurs. And I'm under the impression that Donald Trump hates Philly. What better place to continue what he started in, in Minnesota and also in Wisconsin. Yeah, and we certainly saw it in those places where right-wingers were doing, were committing property damage so that Fox News could claim that it was left-wingers so that Trump could, you know, federalize things. I think that we also have to acknowledge the cancer within our own body politic, Charles. And most of that is these, you know, the, these kind of two philosophical groups. One is the Revolutionary Communist Party, Bob Avakian's group out of New York that had, it basically took down the Occupy movement. They destroyed the Occupy movement back in the day. And then, you know, the so-called self-proclaimed anarchists who all claim to be left-wingers, but they don't subscribe to any of the things that any of the policies that I would call left-wing. And they are basically selling this thing, mostly to young people, that, you know, if we just create enough chaos and bring down the system, a new and better system will rise, you know, will blossom out of the soil of the destruction of the old system. Sounds nice, but it's, yeah, it's, it's nonsense. And they're, they're using this as a rationalization for violence. It's just a terrible thing. So you know, we have to acknowledge whether that's what's going on, you know, there or not, I don't know. But... Charles, your point is well taken. Thank you very much. Today, we're reading about Thunderdome politics, an uncivil war taking back our democracy in an age of Trumpian disinformation and Thunderdome politics by Greg Sargent, the Washington Post columnist. This is from his chapter on voter suppression. It's page 37. Republicans and Democrats inhabit different political realities, as mentioned in a previous chapter. But there are certain facts about our politics that are just objectively true. One of them is this. Generally speaking, efforts to make it harder to vote are almost always pushed by Republicans. You cannot understand what is happening in American politics right now without recognizing this stark and very fundamental difference between the two major political parties. During this decade, procedural hurdles were put into place in around 20 states that in some manner or other have made it harder to vote or to register to vote or have undone previous efforts to make voting or registering easier or have otherwise threatened serious disenfranchisement. Most of them were the creation of Republican lawmakers and officials. The difference in the two parties' national platforms for 2016 tells the story. The GOP platform champions additional hurdles that are absurdly disproportionate to the phantom abuse it alleges, while the Democratic platform champions multiple specific ways to make it easier to vote, not harder. The most common and controversial of methods used by Republicans to suppress Democratic turnout is the requirement that would-be voters present identification at the polls. The game here tends to turn on requiring forms of ID that some groups are less likely to have, making participation harder for them. Other restrictions include techniques like cutting back on early voting and making it harder to register, both of which have, in recent years, been instituted in multiple states. Republicans who have passed laws making it harder to vote have tended to claim such measures are necessary to protect against, quote, voter fraud. We'll look at this in more detail below, but for now, Note that most of the states that have passed such measures did so while under Republican control. As New York University political scientist Samuel Isikoff has memorably put it, the single predictor necessary to determine whether a state will impose voter access restrictions is whether Republicans control the ballot access process. Scholars trace the modern era of warfare over election rules to the intensely contested presidential election of 2000 in which a divided Supreme Court halted the recount in Florida, throwing the presidency to George W. Bush. The closeness and partisan acrimony of that contest, combined with the intense national focus on election rules that accompanied the court battle over it, helped persuade both parties to invest much more attention and energy on those rules. As a result, both the implementation of measures restricting the ballot and the legal battles over them have intensified in recent years. A brief glance at the surprising history of voter ID laws begins to tell the story of this tightening. In the 1970s, several states implemented voter ID measures, but all of them provided for ways that voters without the proper ID could cast a ballot. 
By 2000, there were 14 such laws, and they had been implemented by politicians in both parties. But by the mid-2000s, amid rising post-2000 acrimony, a handful of red states began implementing voter ID laws that the nonpartisan National Conference of State Legislatures described as, quote, strict, meaning that they make it easy to disqualify those who don't pass muster. After one of those laws in Indiana was challenged and then upheld in 2008 by the Supreme Court, an escalation began that gained momentum in the Obama era. From 2010 onward, the adoption of voter ID laws in general and of strict ones in particular accelerated. Though a handful were blocked in the courts, as of this writing, a total of 34 states have voter ID laws in effect, 24 that are deemed non-strict and 10 that are deemed strict. The strict ones are in red states or in swing states where they were implemented by Republicans. The story is very similar if you evaluate the state's voting rules in a broader way by including not just voter ID measures, but also cutbacks to early voting and restrictions on registration. Here the trend is just as pronounced. After the 2010 elections, the Brennan Center for Justice documented a sharp rise in efforts to pass such measures in the state legislatures across the country. Not all these efforts bore fruit, but many did. By the time voting took place in Election Day 2016, some 14 states had these new restrictions in place for the first time in a presidential election. This narrative contains some important truths. Some of the forms that these restrictions on voting access have taken in recent years are diabolically obvious in their efforts to keep constituencies supportive of Democrats from voting. Still others boast the distinction of being more insidiously designed and thus less obvious in their intentions. The book is An Uncivil War by Greg Sargent of The Washington Post. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. 
Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Luigi in Pensacola, Florida. Hey, Luigi, what's up? There's a group called ALEC, American Legislation Executive Council, and it's Coke, Exchange uh, Coke Council. Brothers. Yes, Exchange Council. And it's a group funded, a lobbying group funded by the Koch brothers, and they've been operating particularly in these red states where they have mostly Republican legislatures, and they actually write all this anti-worker, anti-union, anti-voting legislation, and they hand it off to these Republicans, and they've been doing it for years. You just have to check Florida, Texas, check all these states, and they, I want people to be aware of what they're doing. I worked in a campaign a couple of years, two years ago for a lady running for state legislature here in Pensacola, and I actually went and talked to some of the Republican senators as you people are being funded and you're being the legislation you're introducing is being written by Alec. And I said, of course it is. They, they make no bones about yeah. it. I just wanted no, to, some of them are quite proud uh, of it. Yeah, it's, it's yes. a great point, Luigi, and, and thank you for pointing that out. It doesn't get pointed out often enough. Uh, Congressman Mark Pocan was at an ALEC convention, Jesus, must have been six or eight years ago, and he called into this show from the convention as they were busting him and dragging him out. They discovered, oh my God, we've got a liberal in here. They've got several thousand yeah. members who are legis state legislators all across the country. There are three or four of them who are Democrats. All the rest are Republicans. And for every member of, Cong of a state legislature, a state senator, or state representative, there is a parallel lobbyist. And so they'll get uh, 100 lobbyists and 100 state legislators together in a room, and the, the lobbyists will present their legislation. The legislators will discuss it maybe mark it up or tweak it a little bit and then they come out with the final legislation and then they present that to the state this is how stand your ground started this is how some of the preemption against the environment bills started this is how some of the anti-voting stuff has started alec has been responsible for a lot of a lot of legislation around the country and uh, most americans don't even know that they exist so luigi thank you for that thanks for pointing it out i appreciate the call Chaz in lakewood washington hey Chaz, what's on your mind today Nazadrovia, comrade, is another glorious day in the last day of Trumpistan, and the last time I render that greeting unto you. It will be Trumpistan until January 20th, but I'm with you, Chess. <laughs> What's on your mind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real quick, I wanted to tell you, you had a guy called earlier and talked about his uh, blue hat. For the last couple months, I've been wearing a mask, black mask, bold white lettering that said, this is not normal. And I don't think anybody's challenged me on it because I'm like 6'1", 240 pounds, kind of guy that leans forward a little bit and with balled up fists. Yeah, it's okay. So, so here's Remind the deal. Not is, to uh, you, now, I uh, wanted to call and tell you, according to uh, 538, and uh, a little bit of it is going on in the chat, that it looks like there is a three and four chance that the Senate will flip. Yes. We're going to get 51 seats and almost an equal chance of getting 52 seats. And I think there's actually a chance we'll get 53 or 54, but, you know, we'll see. I mean, Woo! it's... it's uh, Probe stakes yeah, point. There you go. There you go. So we'll see. We'll see. It. We'll see how it shakes out. Chess, thanks a lot for the call. That's great news. I appreciate it. David in Los Angeles. David, what's on your mind today? I want to thank you for uh, taking my call. I really treasure your station. Regarding the uh, racism, what I've experienced out here in L.A. is there's two types of racism. The one that shows transparency, like Trump's uh, his verbiage, what he says. I went to the store the other day, 7-Eleven, and uh, there was a guy with swastika signs all over his chest and he was like advertising um, that he is prejudiced, you know, that he stands for. And then you have the type two that they kind of have a tendency to hide their racism. Those are the ones we got to watch out for. Those, those are the dangerous ones. You know, they don't. Well, that's been uh, the GOP's strategy for 40 years now is actually, I'd say, 60 years, you know, going back to the Nixon Southern strategy is they hide their racism in their public face, but they promote it to their peeps, to their fellow racists using dog whistle language like law and order and stuff like that, David. I'm mixed, so mixed with Indian, Mexican, and uh, German. So I really have no, um, there's no borderlines. I'm not scarred with anything like that. So basically what I do is mm -hmm. I used to get upset when I was faced with it by the dirty looks and, and so forth. So, but I learned that why should I bring hate to my heart when I can always um, kill them with kindness? You know, kill them with love. Yeah. Like you're, what your station promotes. You know, you share the love, the opinion, and, and that, that's really, uh, like when I was going to school when I was younger, uh, we used to bring stuff to school to share. And it was fascinating. 
everybody brought camaraderie and brought people together. I just thought I'd share that with you. I think, David, you're making an actually a, a really important point. Love is, and I realize it sounds all kind of, you know, kumbaya-ish to say this, but I mean this deadly serious. Love is the most powerful force there is. I mean, you know, we're still celebrating a guy who died 2,000 years ago proclaiming love. It is the most powerful force, and, and I think that love does not have fear. I, I believe it was Paul, uh, maybe in Ephesians, uh, love casts out fear. If I'm, It's been a long time since I read the Bible, but in any case, love does not have a space or as large a space for fear, whereas hate is almost entirely driven by fear. It's such an important point, and we all need to be embracing love. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 